as we get ready to read our scripture here and look and see what God has for us this morning. Um, I had a conversation with my son this past week, and he was talking about how in one of his religion classes, they were doing a Zoom meeting, and uh, they were talking about heaven, and they were talking about hell. And he said, it's amazing how people who, even people who have grown up in the church have such different ideas about heaven and hell and, and how to get there. And there's so much that's added to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew William would need something simple. And so he made it simple. And I have to imagine that it's the same for everybody out there as well. I like simple. I've talked about this many, many times before. If it's complicated, I get frustrated and confused. And when you start adding things to it, it just makes it even harder. It's like trying to learn how to do accounting. Where's Rodney? Amen, Rodney. It's just difficult. But he made it very simple. And he did that, for, I think, for a couple of reasons, so that it would be accessible to everybody, but also so that when you and I try to share that with other people, then it will be simple for us to share. Now, the problem is that a lot of times through the years, people have added things, uh, qualifications, things that were necessary uh, for salvation to take place, things that needed to be done to maintain the salvation so that you don't lose it. And I have to just take a step back and, and realize again how awesome my God is and how great he is in that when he saves me, it's forever. And, and nobody can take it away from me. Nobody can talk it out of me. Not even the greatest enemy that you and I have can pluck me out of his righteous right hand. And so the church rejoices in that truth and says what? Amen. Amen. That's the good news. Amen, brother. It's the good news. It's the good news. And I want us to look this morning at Paul, who is such a great example for us, of somebody who certainly deserved to go to hell because of how he treated other people. But then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changed his life forever, and his life changed forever. And he truly began to live when he died to himself and became alive in Christ Jesus. And then he, he began to go on missionary journeys and he began to talk to other people. And he went to places that had never heard about Jesus and there was so much that they were involved in and they were so, so lost. And he had such a compassion for them that he wanted to share the gospel with them. And God blessed this man and, and gave him so many great abilities, but he was just a man, just like you and me, just a human being. And he struggled with things, and he, he had an issue that he had to deal with his whole life that he asked the Lord to take from him, but the Lord did not take it, but gave him strength in the midst of it to be able to go on and continue like he does for you and me in many things that we have to go through. But one thing Paul did is he trained other people, and one, another thing that he did was he talked to people about Jesus. And I want us to look at how in the book of Acts, chapter 17 this morning, how he did it, 
and how you and I can do it. And I'm going to tell you why it's important for us to talk about this today. Because I don't know if you've realized it or not, but there are a lot of things happening in the world that kind of let us, that give us an idea that things are coming to an end here. That it's not going to be long before that day that he has promised us is going to come about when he raptures the church out of here before things get really, really bad here on this earth. And so the thing is, <clears throat> we can't just say, well, great, he's coming soon. I'm just going to kind of chill here until he does. No, we don't, we don't have that, that option because you and I are ambassadors for Christ, and he has told us to go into the world and make disciples. And for me and you, the world might be just right around the corner, or down the street, or where we work, or where we buy our groceries, or where we go to school. Not necessarily having to hop on a boat or a plane and cross oceans and thousands of miles of land to tell somebody about Jesus. We have a ripe a field ripened to harvest around us for people that need to know who Jesus is. And one issue that we've had through the years is that we've been taught certain things. I thank God for the teaching we've had in this church from, from previous pastors who have explained to us the scriptures and the, the scriptures that we can use. And I thank God for that. But there are people in this world who think that the best way to get somebody to turn their lives over to Christ is to beat them upside the head with a Bible. And maybe not physically doing that, but doing it in such a way that it turns people off and sometimes burns bridges that can't be crossed anymore. Because I wonder, I have to ask when I see these things happen, are people doing what they're doing out of love? Because he said, do what you do out of love. Do what you're doing as unto the Lord. Do what you do out of love. And you know, we, we have got to cultivate and make a choice because it is a choice to love other people. And we have to love unlovable people. And we have to love our enemies. We have to love those people who would curse us and do wrong to us. Yeah, we got to do that. Because there before the grace of God go you and me. We could be in the same position they're in. But for some reason or other, because people share Jesus with you and me, because we grew up in a church, our parents brought us to church, we heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit dealt with our hearts, we turned our lives over to Christ and we're saved and we have a treasure that we cannot keep hidden and it's gotta be shared with other people. And you have a voice, you have, an, you have a mission field. You know, we've got some people who are here that are not able to hear and not able to speak. And some might say, well, it's inc incredibly difficult for them to be able to share the gospel. I beg to differ because they have a unique and, and very, uh, what's the, very specific group of people that they'll be able to share the gospel with. And I thank God for them. And there are people who say I'm very shy and very inward and I can't talk to other people. But you can talk to people. You can talk to somebody. And you can reach people that nobody else can. But, but how do we do it? And, and does the Bible give us some instruction? And I'm going to say, yes, absolutely it does. So let's go into Scripture and let's begin reading in Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin with verse number 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he 
in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, or I perceive that you are religious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nation of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times therefore appointed and the bounds of their habitation." that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offering of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorant God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Darius and others with them. That's a lot of scripture that we read this morning. But you get the, you get the picture, you get the idea, you see what Paul is doing here. And you see how he went about doing it. And if we spend a little time thinking about how he did it, we begin to see things that you and I need to be able to go out and do the same, the very same thing. He was in Athens. We read that at the beginning. He was on his second missionary journey. And he did what many people would do when they go into a new city. He went sightseeing. And he looked around to see what there was to see. And what he saw distressed him because what he saw were idols and, and places of worship to false gods. It has been said that there were some 30,000 gods. I don't know who spent their time counting. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if I could count to 1,000. 
I don't know if I have enough patience to do that. But it's been said that there were some 30,000 gods in Athens that they, that they worshiped. And it distressed Paul. Why would it distress Paul? Because he knows that there's only one God. And he's the God that we need. And he's the God that loves us. But instead of complaining, <coughs> excuse me, instead of complaining about what he had seen, verse 17 shows us that he went straight to work. And what he did is he went to the religious centers and he went to the marketplace. He went to where the people were and he went there every day. And verse 18 tells us that there were philosophers who wanted to debate with him. We've got the Epicureans and the Stoics in, in the scripture. The Epicureans, just to give us a frame of reference, the Epicureans were atheists. They denied any existence of God. And the Stoics were pantheists. They, they believed that God was in everything. God is, God is not a separate entity, but God is in a rock, and God is in a blade of grass, and God is in a house fly, and God is in a cow, and all these things. The Epicureans uh, did not believe in the afterlife, and I guess you could say their motto was pretty much eat, drink, and be merry, because who knows what tomorrow brings. And then you've got the Stoics, and they were more... We'll just grin and bear it. They were very apathetic. God is everywhere. Don't be concerned about anything. If anything happens, just grin and bear it. So that's what, those are the, 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 the veins of thought that you saw there in Athens. And then the last part of verse 18 through verse 21, some of them began asking, well, who, what is this babbler? What is this babbler trying to say? And others of them said, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching about Jesus. And Paul was preaching about the resurre a resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus. And this is what they said to him. Hey, we want to know this new teaching that you're preaching. Uh, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We want to know what they mean. Because it went on to say that because what they like to do is they like to hear what people had to say and they like to talk about it. It's kind of like, I don't know, kind of like maybe talk radio today. Let's hear what you have to say and let's discuss it and let's, let's debate it, let's talk about it. But the Epicureans, the atheists, they looked at Paul with utter disdain. They did not like him. They did not like what he was saying. They called him a babbler. Babbler means seed picker. They saw him as no more than the little birds that used to flit around the marketplace, picking up and dropping little seeds everywhere. They, they did not like him. They did not like what he had to say. Um, he, they said he's little more than just a picker up of fragments of the truth. And so they dismissed him. And the Stoics were interested. Now, there's some, there seemed to be some hope with them because they were interested and they had room for maybe even additional gods more than they already had. And they were intrigued by what he had to say. Uh, again, they spent their time talking and listening. So they were interested in what Paul had to say. And so they brought him before what would be considered the Supreme Court in Athens. And what you have here is Paul, and he is the only Christian in this city full of people that worship false gods. And you have to imagine that this is maybe one of the most dramatic scenes playing out 
in the New Testament. Can you imagine? You probably felt this way, but could you imagine being the only Christian in a city full of people who didn't know what you were talking about and who didn't understand what you're trying to say? And he was basically trying to give them something that was going to change their lives forever. He was giving them something that was going to benefit them greatly. And they were very hesitant to hear what he had to say. So we, we, we want to take the next few minutes and see how Paul approached the people, how Paul approached him. We have to understand, too, the scripture that says that he has placed eternity in our hearts. So in each person that hears the message that Paul has to say, there is got, there's got to be some kind of interest because God has set eternity in our hearts. And there is a, maybe a, something below even our comprehension or understanding that longs for whatever it is that he is sharing because we were created for him. We were created for, to know him and for him to know us. And he wants to get the message to these people. So he doesn't just bypass the city. Oh, this, this place is too far gone. We got to get on out of here because they got 30,000 gods. And they've even got little, little altars placed here and there that say to the unknown God. But he stuck around and he stuck to it. And this is, what he, this is how he did it. The first thing we see is that he was courteous in how he approached them. Now let's look at verse 22. He stood up, it says he stood up in the meeting and he said, men of Athens, basically what he is saying is, I see that you are very religious. I see that you are very religious. And this was a good way to approach them because what it showed is he had spent some time going around their city and looking at what was going on in and around them. Basically, he was kind of paying them a compliment. Hey, I see your idols. I see your places of worship. You know, I see that you're a very religious. I've been walking around and, and I've noticed this as I've, as I've been here so far. And what this shows us is that the words that we use matter. Because if he approaches them in the wrong way, and if he uses the wrong words, then he's going to lose them. And he may never get a chance to speak to them again. And he understood the weight of that because for a person to reject the gospel means hell. Okay, for people in our lives that we know don't know Jesus, they're going to hell, okay? Family that you know that has rejected Jesus or wants nothing to do with religion, they're going to hell. And, I, and I'm not making this up and I'm not sending them there and God's not sending them there. They're making the choice themselves to go there, to reject what Christ is offering them, that salvation and that forgiveness. So he understands the importance of using the right words and having the right attitude when he does it. Because he sees these men as people who are groping around in the dark, searching for something, searching for something of worth and of value. And he knows that you cannot insult or offend someone into the kingdom of God. We cannot do that. And I'm telling you, church, we've, we, that's what we've been trying to do in so many situations. You see, they were idolaters, and God is against idolatry. We know that. Certainly, there's no question, there's no debating that. But he did not begin 
what he said to them that day by saying something like, hey, I have come to expose you. I have come to expose your sins, you dirty, wretched, hell-bound idolaters. I have come to, to tell you, I have come to tell you something and you're not gonna like it, but you're gonna hear me anyway. And just thank God that I'm here and you're here today because I can get you to a point where you won't, you won't be who you are anymore. And do you see the difference between that and, hey, I look around and I see you're a religious people. And so I see that and I got to ask myself when I am talking to people, am I courteous? Am I doing it with love? Because I tell you, sometimes the things that people say about my God and my church and my faith, it really makes me angry. And I want to lash out. And, and I want to say ugly things. But I'm going to burn the bridge if I do that. I got to be very, very careful because I want God to use me here. And I don't want God to use me as a battering ram, <laughs> even though I would maybe enjoy that in the moment. I want God to use me as, as, as a magnet or a conduit or something that will draw them to him. I want to lift him up so it will draw men to him. I want to be gracious when I talk to people about the gospel. And I think the early church had a really good handle on this. Um, they were so thankful for the grace of God. How thankful are you and I for the grace of God? Is it a motivating factor in our lives? Do we understand the great grace that we've been given? Do we understand what we deserve? And instead of getting what we deserve, he has given us something far greater and better and of more worth. And, and he's given us hope because we have a future. And, and we know what it is. And we know where we're going. And there's nothing I can do to mess that up. And I will mess up and I will make mistakes. I live in a fallen world and I still sin. But I have been forgiven and I am his child. And that's not going to change. Do I live my life daily in appreciation of that grace and let that motivate me as I talk to other people? Am I gracious towards other people? Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says that the believers were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Do, do, does the world today enjoy being around Christians? It's, I'm hearing that back in the day, the world enjoyed being around Christians. Do, does the world enjoy it today? And is it something that we have done to cause that to, to happen? And then it goes on to say that the Lord added to the church daily. They were fun. They were fun to be around. They were upbeat. They were full of grace. Does that describe you and me? Full of grace and love and peace and joy to share with the world. Do, the, do non-Christians feel that way about us? But, but Paul was courteous. He was courteous and that was important. Let's move on. The next thing we see is that he was current. Some might say he was contemporary. What do we mean by that? Um, verse 23, um, in the first part of that, he established some common ground between himself and the Athenians. He was courteous and he broke down barriers that way, but then he began to speak and he started to build bridges with his audience. He, there, he, he started a connection with the people. Verse 23 says, I, he talks about how he walked around 
and he saw their objects of worship, and he even saw an altar to an unknown God. So he was out and about, and he was where the people lived, and he was around and about where the people worked, and he hung around the people, and that's important. It would tell the Athenians that Paul had taken time to get to know their city and maybe even to get to know some of the people as he was, as he was moving around the city. And it shows that, that he found a natural point of contact with the people of Athens. Um, in, in missions, if you'll look this up, in missions, this is what is called redemptive analogies. Redemptive analogies. What that means is that people use cultural or traditional beliefs uh, so that they, as a springboard, basically. They use cultural and traditional beliefs of the people that they're trying to minister to as a springboard to explain the gospel message. In other words, if I, if I am ministering or trying to witness to a group of farmers, then I'm going to use stories about seeds and planting and watering. And who did that? Who else did that? Jesus. And so he, he, there was a point of contact. You know, if, if you got a bunch of sports fans, you can talk about sports. Um, you know, if you've got, if you got, if you're in another country and what the people do over there is they fish for a living, uh, they build boats and they fish, then you talk about fishing and use that and bring into the fact that, bring into it the fact that Jesus is a fisher of men. We are fishers of men. You see how they, they did that, redemptive analogies. And so he's doing that here by talking about what's going on in their city, the different things that they had to worship. And so brilliant, this is brilliant when you think about it. And so he, he came across this really strange altar and it said to an unknown God. And he saw several of these while he was in Athens. And I want to explain that to you because I found this very interesting. Um, several centuries before this, there had been a, a devastating plague that had hit the city and there was a man named Cyprus. And what he said is, is to go to the Areopagus and send out from there a flock of sheep. And whenever these flock of sheep walk away, when they stop, you need to kill that sheep and you need to sacrifice it at the nearest altar. And if there is no altar near, then you build one and you, you say that this is to the unknown God and you sacrifice that that uh, that offering there, that that's so interesting, and Paul used that kind of as an opening illustration as he began to share the gospel with these people, and again with all these different altars in in the city, surely that would be enough. But no, they were still looking for more, and so they started adding these altars to unknown gods. And I tell you what, when when people don't know the one true God, they turn to idols. That's what people do today. If they don't know God, they turn to idols. Their idols will be their jobs and other people and their, their, uh, their money and their reputation and anything but the one true God. But the sad thing is that sometimes even Christians turn to idols and we've got the one true God. But sometimes things of this world seem more important to us 
And we've got to be very careful of that. So when we're spending time with people who aren't Christians, are we looking for something that we can use to connect them with the gospel? Even at work, you can even use what you do at work, whatever your job is, and look for an illustration in Scripture that will go along with that. Hey, you know what we do here every day? It kind of reminds me of something I read in the Bible where blah, 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 and then you just move on. So he was current. He paid attention to what was going on, and he, and he tried to find a way to connect to people. And the motivating factor through all of this is that he loved these people. And what he did, he did out of love. Moving on, the next thing that we see, and I think this is going to be obvious to everybody, Paul was courageous in what he did, and he was courageous in how he did it. I think this is one of those personality traits that probably carried over from before he was converted to, a, to Christianity because he was very, very bold in going and, uh, and hurting the Christian people and killing the Christian people. He was bold in what he did. And I think that's a trait that carried over when he became a Christian. He was bold in what he did and how he, how he did it. Verses 23 through 30, he told him, he said, hey, you worship something unknown. I'm gonna proclaim something to you. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, hey, you're looking for the unknown God? I know the unknown God, and I'm gonna tell you who he is. Now that sounds to me about, that sounds like somebody who knows what they're talking about and is about ready to give me some information that apparently people in this part of the world have been looking for for a long time because there are altars to unknown gods everywhere. And so he's beginning to, he's, he's started off being nice. He continued with trying to make a connection and now he's going to drive it home. He's going to be courageous in what he's, what he's getting ready to say here. And you know, I know the King James Version tells that they were doing it ignorantly. Um, other translations will tell you that um, unknowingly, unknowingly you're worshiping something that's not real or that, or that you don't know. And so again, he's just being very, very matter of fact. This is, this is what's happening, but I'm here to tell you the truth. And then he began to preach the, the gospel boldly. Um, and again, this is such a powerful way and such an effective way to do it that's really contrary to what we've tried to do in modern times of how we've tried to share the gospel and of how we, we, we have really pushed getting to the point of decision, getting somebody to the point of decision maybe before they're ready. Uh, let me just give you some examples. If we have a, uh, a crusade or we have a very emotional worship service and people's emotions are running high and tears are flowing and, and there's just electricity in the air, it seems like, and then all of a sudden an altar call is given and people run to the altar and they see people on their knees and they get on their knees and they start to, they start to cry and they're emotional and they don't know why. And then there's nobody there to help them. There's nobody there to disciple them. There's nobody there to speak with them and take the time out of love to explain to them what's going on. And so they, they get involved and they get excited and they get emotional and they cry and they come to the front and then it's over and they kind of go back and they sit down and then somebody tells them, you're saved. Or if you prayed this prayer, you're saved. 
And so they, they wake up the next morning and they're just still on an emotional high. But five days later, they can't tell you anything about it. And they're back to where, where they were. They have maybe a curiosity about what happened and maybe they'll think about going again, but there's nothing solid to hold on to because they weren't given any truth. And nobody took the time to be kind and courteous and make a connection and be courageous and explaining to them <clears throat> what, who, what and who Jesus is. And so we have generation after generation of people who walked to the front, but they don't know why. And they bent over and prayed, repeated a prayer that they're not even sure what it means, and they have no understanding of it. When truthfully, this is, this is what I talked about earlier, adding to things, making it confusing, very clearly. You have to understand that you're a sinner. And the Bible says that very clearly, we're all sinners. And you can't do anything to fix that problem, nothing. You can try, you can want to, but there's nothing you can do. And so Jesus knew that. He came to this earth as the son of God and he became a man and he died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. And he shed his blood, his perfect blood to pay for our sins. The only acceptable payment because the wages of sin is death and that has to be paid. And Jesus died and that debt was paid. It was paid. And so if I will believe in my heart, Jesus is the son of God and he died for my sins because I needed that. And I'll confess him with my mouth and I'll be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. God, save me. I'm a sinner, save me. Uh, forgive me. I need you. That, see how different that is than, oh God, this music, this song, this emotion that I'm feeling is just so powerful. I want to stay in this moment forever. I'm with my friends and we're just having such a good time. I'm so glad I came. I'm so glad I spent $20 to be able to come here. Um, I just feel so close to everybody. <sighs> I'm going to go sit down now. And you have nothing to hold on to. Nothing. But Paul was courageous here. And he began to explain to them who the God of the universe was, who the real God was, this unknown God you don't understand. I know him and this is who he is. And he made the world and he made you and me. And we, we need to be in a relationship with him. He is why we're here. He is why we live and move and breathe. He has created us. And he created you to know him, not so that you would wander around and worship 30,000 different gods, but that you could have one God who takes care of everything. And this is a man who took the time, he took the time to explain this to them. Are you taking the time? Am I taking the time to talk to people? Is it important to us? Because we are coming down to, to I believe, a time when the rapture of the church is going to take place. And then as we understand it, people who have heard the gospel and rejected it, it's up for them. So we don't give up. And I'm going to tell you something else. We, we went to Honduras early 2000s. And back then we were heavily involved in the faith program here at the church. So we took what we had understood about the faith program to Honduras. And we began to walk through the, the, the hills 
of Los Lamidos, I think is what it was called. And we saw all kinds of people. And we asked them if we could talk to them about Jesus. And some of them were, no, 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 no. And some of them were, sure. And there was, to my best recollection, he was in his 80s. There was an older man. And you know, when you're in your 80s, you're, you're pretty close to breathing maybe your last breath in the next decade or so. And he listened to us as we told him about Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And we explained to him who we were as well, what the Bible says about us. And he accepted Jesus there that day, 80 some years old. And when that happens, there is a feeling, there's a rejoicing that takes place in your soul, not because, hey, 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 look what I did, because this was a group effort. But it was just our privilege to just share the good news boldly to this man. But it said in uh, Acts 2.47 that the Lord added to the church daily. So it is the Lord that does the saving. He's responsible for that. I don't have to do that. And I really want to I really want to close the deal. But I tell you the majority of the time I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm just going to be able to give witness and give testimony of who God is. And if the opportunity presents itself I can ask that question, are you ready to accept Christ for yourself? But sometimes I don't get to that point and many times we won't. But you are watering you're planting a seed or you're watering a seed and then God gives the increase, okay? It is up to God to save that person. It's not up to me. But I have the privilege, just as Paul did, to tell people about Jesus. And this is not something that we can keep to ourselves, church. Even though some days we would rather just not talk to anybody, some days we just want to sit in our little houses and we want to close the blinds and we want to forget about the world. And if you need to do that every now and then, then you do it. But there's going to be a, there needs to be a time when we walk through that door and we say a prayer like this, God, help me to be like Paul and look for opportunities and take them. And I don't have to be eloquent like him, but help me to use what you have given me to share with people who you are, because that's what's important Yes, I've got deadlines at work. Yes, I've got exams I've got to study for. Yes, I'm courting a girl and I hope to marry her and I got to make all the right choices and decisions with her. Whatever it is in your life that's important, what's more important is what Jesus has done in you and that you need to share that with other people because eternity stands in, in it's, it, eternity is what matters. And the most important decision that you and I can ever make is what we decide to do with Jesus. But I can't make somebody else choose Jesus. I can only bear witness to what he's done in my life. And we see this here at the end of scripture. We see some wanted nothing to do with him. Just get on out of here, you babbler. We don't want nothing, nothing to do with you. And others were like, okay, okay, okay. I hear you. I want to discuss this some more. I'm interested in hearing more about what you have to say. But at the end of Scripture, it told us, and I'll read that and I'll finish up. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, and among them, among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And don't you know that when he left that place, those people there continued to share the good news. 
because it had changed them in a way that was real and in a way that they wanted other people to experience it. So what Christ has done in your life, is it a big deal to you? Are you glad that he has done it? And do you long for other people to experience that as well? Maybe you've never really thought a whole lot about being saved after you got saved. Maybe you haven't given much thought to how Jesus still loves you and how Jesus is still with you every day and how Jesus still has a plan for your life. But I encourage you to think about it because as the years pass and as time moves on, we are ever closer. You know, we started a few minutes after 10. It is now 11:14. We are closer to Jesus coming back than we were an hour ago. Have we allowed the Lord to drop anything into our heart this morning that would encourage us in whatever situation we're in in our lives, whoever we come in contact with, are we going to show them who Jesus is by the words we use, the way we live, and the testimony that we share? Is it important to us? I want you to stand, if you will, bow your heads.